Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Hold on just a second. We're already at the 5th of January and I just realised you guys have yet to hear a second Captain's Football podcast in 2024. Oh, I feel for you. I, it's just so much going on. This is just yet another reason you should be signed up to the World Service. Already this year, some of our favourite football characters have been discussed on the pod. Darwin Nunez for one. He played last night for 64 minutes up to inform me he, uh, he missed in that period uh, more expected goals than any player has managed to miss without scoring a goal in a single match uh, this season. Uh, and oftentimes you see these strikers sort of become pale and limp and flaccid. And they, <laughs> you know, they, they kind of, they, they develop this sort of haunted look and um, are sort of skulking around on the margins and, you know, and are relieved to be taken off. Uh, whereas Darwin just keeps going, you know, um, chest out. Uh, and he just keeps <laughs> running through and battering the ball straight at the goalkeeper uh, or heading the ball wide or, you know, whatever. But the man is a live wire. You know, what can you say? The one with his knee was amazing. The one where Salah had, it wasn't long after he had unselfishly, as Jurgen Klopp points out, assisted Mo Salah's goal. Then Salah returns the favour, sort of, I think he volleyed the ball across. And it was an awkward one for Nunes. He just got a knee on it. And then uh, it went straight into Dubravka's chest. It was like Nunes didn't know anything about it. The keeper didn't know anything about it. But of course, this being Darren Nunes, the ball somehow stays out of the goal. And not long after that, uh, well, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but you contrast it with Alexander Isaac's hilariously composed finish with his only, probably his only chance of the game. Yeah, well, the um, the the Isaac finish was pretty good. I mean, it was he he obviously had a couple of um, great finishes at Anfield last season, only one of which ultimately counted because there was a, there was an offside there. Um, but it did seem at that point, Dave, you know that that Nunez's misses were going to be really costly. That the whole, you know, it it it, it was not unlike. The, the previous Liverpool game against Manchester United where they had kind of dominated. Well, it was it would have been worse than that because they they had better chances on this occasion. They, they had 34 shots. The, the headline shots figure was the same, but, you know, it ended with like 7.2 <laughs> expected goals. I mean, this is what made it so kind of funny. You know, Eddie Howe was complaining about the penalties. Um, there was a lot of complaining about the penalties. 
I mean, when you started so before, off... Hang on, we'll get, we'll get to the penalties. I don't want to get straight into to refereeing complaints. So so just just last one on Nunes. Would you agree... Okay, so he missed a lot of chances. Should have scored mm. goals. Not only did he keep going, he, Klopp is right. It's not just faint praise to... It's not just damning with faint praise to say that actually he occupied the defenders so much, he, he was such a handful, that it does create gaps for other players. Mo Salah's able to score a couple of goals. Jota gets involved... Um, Luis Diaz has probably the best game he's had in a while I'm, I'm trying to push a case here for it being a net positive performance by Darren Nunes last night oh I think it was definitely a net positive yeah. performance yeah not doubt about it like uh, you know in the sense that he he was sort of central to all of this frenzied and frenetic activity directly in front of Newcastle's uh, goal, which you know, eventually the ball's going to have to go in, right? I mean, that's that's sort of the thinking, you know. If we, it might not be Nunes, it might not be Nunes who kicks it in, but eventually the ball will go in. Yeah, he did manage to go uh, second bottom of the um, you know G minus XG chart, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. or the XG minus G, or whichever it is. <laughs> um, yeah, in his case, wow. only only Dominic Calvert Lewin is now below him in this chart in the Premier League. Uh, this is what has Calvert Lewin been up to? If, if, uh, <laughs> yeah, Calvert, he's still below Darren Nunez. Uh, he's uh, had a couple of bad ones. Uh, <laughs> Calvert Lewin's had one or two unfortunate episodes. Sergio Ramos is another old favourite. We haven't, haven't heard from him for too long and we discussed his explosive start to the year, interrupting his own post-match interview to have a pop at a passing supporter of his own team. In other, on other occasions, we've been able to take our chances. We couldn't do that tonight. We just have to keep working. Have a little bit of respect. We're talking. Respect the badge and respect the people. Yeah, respect the people that are trying to listen to this interview. The things that you have to put up with. Well, as I was saying, it's the frustration that the supporters have. What a job, you must say, the translator did there on Viaplay. I mean, that is, <laughs> he really captured the essence of Sergio Ramos, I feel. There's also been some early January transfer tittle-tattle. Transfer deadline day. Can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. I really am looking forward to it. <laughs> Yeah, 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 we're a few weeks away from that, but the window is open. And we discussed some transfer bollocks on the podcast yesterday. Uh, Wayne Rooney, Wayne Rooney. Guys, we have a problem. Ken was kicking himself that the news of Rooney's sacking broke only after we'd recorded Tuesday's football podcast. But this is the magic of a daily show. You can always come back to something the following day. And Ken devoted much of Wednesday's pod to Rooney's difficulties. The circumstances of Rooney taking over at Birmingham were quite unusual. Um, those being that John Eustace, who who had been obviously working with Stephen Kenny for um, a, a brief period of time, like time. many of Stephen Kenny's assistants, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, had just led Birmingham to a a riotous three one win over their local uh, regional rivals. I just reminded of Eustace. Rob. At what stage did Eustace come in? He was post Anthony Barry. Yeah, and Eustace then, came in and then left again. Yeah, then he then he left right. again. So so quickly. You know, um, it's like we never really got to know John Eustace, but the Birmingham fans knew him and seemed to like him. So why why was he? They were sixth when he got the boot, so they got rid of him. Well, they they had just beaten West Brom three one, and then he was sacked a couple of days after that, <laughs> that right? Because like, the whole place going, that's where we beat West Brom. Yeah, you know, we we're into the playoff places. Now they didn't really have that strong a side. You know, they kind of narrowly escaped relegation, but in a defiant way. And then we're in a, in a, again in a defiant way. This outgunned young Birmingham team. Had fought their way up the table into the um, 
into the playoff places. They'd lost a couple of games, but you know they they obviously were doing reasonably well to be in um, to be in sort of sixth position. So it's unusual, obviously, to sack a manager in those circumstances. It's like, well, things seem to be going in the right direction. It's not you don't usually sack the manager at that point. But Gary Cook, remember Gary Cook? I do remember him from his Manchester City days. He tried, almost succeeded in signing Wayne Rooney from their arch rivals. That's right. Uh, he 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 got Wayne Rooney the biggest pay rise of his career, <laughs> and he he got uh, he eventually got his man many years later. And his whole thing at the time. I mean, this guy has always been one of the 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 phrases on one of the game's great characters, mm. right? Like Todd Bowley, he's kind of like a a much more inept and much less successful Bowley. Uh, he who who announced after sacking John Eustace who again had just had one of their, their their greatest wins in recent years a new first team manager will be announced in the coming days who will be responsible for creating an identity and clear no fear playing style that all Birmingham City teams will adopt and embrace <laughs> clear no fear um, he he said that there was a misalignment this was uh, this was the uh, uh, the description of the relationship with Eustace. There was misalignment between the ambition of the club and, and well, John Eustace. Uh, although Gary Cook did then say at the Wayne Rooney um, press uh, conference, uh, he said, we turned up on July 13th. The first person you meet is the manager. I want to make it very clear. John has ambition. I don't want to make it sound as if John didn't have ambition. <laughs> but we went through a time period <laughs> As we went through a time period, we started to look at our own ambition and decide what we wanted to do. And then you go around the football club and ideate who's on board. Ideate. Uh, it's well documented. I have a very strong belief. This is Listen to the strong belief he's about to ideate for you. I have a very strong belief that when change happens, 30% of the audience is coming with you because they're dead excited and can't wait. 30% are not really loving it because it's a bit too much change. 30% are just okay with it. That's the strong belief, right? <laughs> so he, he's, he, he hasn't actually mentioned the other 10%. Uh, you know, 10% of people with a question mark over them is a lot. You know, what if those 10% uh, hate you with the fire of a thousand suns? You know, that's potentially a big, a big problem. You know, even even though you've, you've got a strong belief about the, the rest of the 30%, when change happens, this is how I look at it as well. What percent of the audience is with me? What percent is okay? And then the other 10%, we won't worry about them. Uh, to, so, uh, so, as we, so, he says, as we go through the organization, we have to share the ambition and that alignment means that perhaps our ambition was a little higher. So th these are the kinds of things he was saying oh as, he, my God. as he sat next to, as he sat next to Wayne Rooney explaining. And, and um, the thing is that, the, that uh, okay, an episode happened at Birmingham in 2016 where they sacked Gary Rowett, who, as we know, Gary Rowett, like even the name, Gary Rowett. <laughs> you know what I mean? Gary Rowett. Now, here's a name, Owen. Here's another name. Gianfranco Zola. Oh, oh I know yeah. that name. That's Gianfranco him. Zola. Great Gianfranco name. Zola. Now, that is a much better name in every way than Gary Rowett. <laughs> Gary Rowett, plugging away, doing all right. But at the end of the day, was he Gianfranco Zola? No. They brought in Gianfranco Zola to replace Gary Rowett. Uh, didn't work. Didn't work, right? Total, total disaster. So, Gary Cook was asked... 
Are you a little, perhaps, you know, we had this thing a while ago where we sacked a guy with a boring name and replaced another guy with a much more interesting <laughs> name. Is the, you know, and, and it didn't work. Are you worried that this, you know, might be... And this, uh, this is Gary Cook again. There's nothing boring about the name John Eustace, says Gary Cook. Well, John, John Eustace, you know, people apparently had, had, um, had called him John Eustace. There was a there was a rumor. All right, there was a, there was talk of that. You know, people the players uh, wags. Every coach is going to have some players who take against them, and apparently some of those players people had career. Use, it just sounds a bit too much like useless to ignore that if you if exactly. you're not a fan. It's like Luke Littler. Well, we'll you know, get to him. Mm. Well, I'm, glad, to, I'm glad he, you're into the darts. He had to go with Luke that. the Nuke. Well, well, cool hand Luke was taken by his opponent Luke Humphreys tomorrow night. Well, he could tonight. There aren't that many rhymes with the second name. Littler. <laughs> uh, I mean, a far, couple options, but there's, yeah. there's one that comes to mind. But mm. continue, uh, Gary Cook on parallels. <clears throat> so he said. So this is the the Rowett Zola. You know, is is might this be the same Gary? Are you worried about that? This is at the beginning. Uh, when he's sitting there next to Rooney. You know, one thing we all do in football is that we're very quick to look in the rearview mirror. I think all that offers you is an insight into what has happened. I'd like to say, though... (laughs) 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 I'd like to say, though, that I think the conditions here at Birmingham City at this time are very different to that point in time. And I can't comment on what happened years ago here. What I'm focused on with everybody is getting us to look forward. And as we build our three, five, seven-year plans, it's not just about, with respect, the manager, it's about changing the landscape of Birmingham, creating a football club that's sustainable and successful. And again, if you look forward rather than look back, you'll have a better chance of aspiring to meet your ambition. Oh, So you got to look forwards, not backwards. Um, I can't believe I used to work for this guy. He was a Nike executive, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah, I worked in Nike Town, San Francisco. We were all part of the Phil Knight family again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Myself and Cook. I'm not sure. Apparently. I'm not sure how senior a member of that family he was. I mean, he worked for the UFC then. He's worked, he worked in the Saudi League most recently. Yeah. So, he, But he's, he's come back because he's, uh, he's, um, he's excited by the ambition of, of Birmingham City. Now, Rooney was asked about this. Hey, you know, this was at his... And we're still talking about the beginning, like the, which was barely a moment ago of his Birmingham career. Uh, what about this no fear stuff we've been hearing about? You know, what does no fear mean to you? If you take the words no fear and isolate it, you will get these questions. And this is Rooney talking now, not Gary Cook. In terms of how I want my team to play, I want them to be brave. These are messages I've given to my players at Derby County and DC United. I want them to be brave. I want them to take risks. They are going to make mistakes. That is normal in a game of football. Players make mistakes. How many times do you see a midfielder and you hear the crowd getting on players' backs because they play backwards or sideways? I want the players to play forwards. So in, in that sense, they, he is aligned at least with the with the vision of Gary Cook. Look forwards, not backwards. Um, we've got really good attacking players. We have to use them. We have to get them the ball. We have to get across them to the box. It's a mindset, a mentality of when you get the ball, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to pass it on to your teammate and let him make a decision? Or are you going to take a decision yourself? That's a message I really try to get into my players. Okay. Pep Guardiola would have the exact opposite view on football to what Wayne Rooney has espoused there. Just Let's just pass it around sideways and have loads of very clever off-the-ball running to the point that somebody scores from a cutback. And sometimes, you know, sometimes something will happen as a, as a result of doing that. Anyway, fast forward to, uh, fast forward a couple of weeks, uh, Wayne Rooney is saying, 
uh, of his players. I think some players out there need to grow a pair of balls, basically. This was after they drew with Rotherham. Uh, they lost to Stoke um, the day after Christmas. Um, ideally, you wish you could have 11 subs, as I could have changed all 11 players at halftime. It's just disgusting with the players. Anyway, they lose uh, again. The final indignity was a, a 3 0 defeat away at Leeds United uh, on New Year's Day. Uh, that was the end of. Rooney's time. Unfortunately, Gary Cook, uh, who, according to reports, was still keen to persist with the Rooney thing because I suppose his face being all over it, like it very Mm. clearly having been, he he having attached himself so much to it. You know, we've brought in this great figure. You know, when you've got someone, um, he he had a great, yeah. We're incredibly excited by Wayne's arrival when the opportunity presents itself to a point manager who shares your ambition and is both a student and a grade of the game. Mm-hmm. Then you act. This is what we have done. That was that was Gary Cook. Because obviously it was kind of he was to an extent perceived as Cook's man. I mean, Cook was all over him like a, a cheap suit at the <laughs> unveiling. And now he has to, everything's gone wrong. They've lost nine out of fifteen games. Uh, and the you're looking screaming. backwards there, Ken. The fans are screaming, get out of our club, right? Wayne Rooney, get out of our club. Uh, unfortunately, Wayne's time with us did not go as planned, and we have decided to move in a different direction, said uh, Cook. Forwards in a different direction. The search for a successor begins with immediate effect, and we will update supporters when we have news. So that was uh, that was what happened there. I mean, and, and, and you get, I mean, I was reading some of the analysis. Uh, you see, uh, for example... Uh, the Athletic have uh, have a big piece about it, uh, where um, one of these big what went wrong pieces haven't had a chance to. Why read this Wayne yet. Rooney was sacked by Birmingham fifteen I, games? I do enjoy them. I must say, there's always these sort of pieces generally uncover nice detail. It's usually you know you, you usually hear a bit of you know what's what's going on there, but it, it's Rob Tanner, Phil Hyde, David Ornstein um, on the support and and. and it, it contains the, the line, like many great players who become managers, Rooney had become increasingly frustrated when his players seemed unable to do what he found simple and second nature on the pitch. And I just love that. I just love the way these guys are always let off being crap managers because they used to be good football. Is it being let off? I, I would have thought it's not. I would have thought it's, a bit, it's, it's the main criticism leveled at them that they don't have the patience to deal with players. It's an excuse. It's an excuse. Why? You know, oh, you, you, he, he becomes frustrated with players who can't do what he used to do. Like, I mean, it's not, the problem isn't that these players can't do what he used to do. It's that these, these former greats who become terrible managers lack basic social skills and managerial ability. Totally. That's what I always take out of those stories. Maybe I'm taking up the wrong way. I always, I always take that as a criticism of the manager, not as, because everyone knows they're a great player. Well, fair enough then, because I agree with you. Um, I feel as though it's often deployed as a sort of a, you know, like, um, oh, you know, like like it's, it's, it's sort of putting it on the players. For how, not how could they be expected to understand these to work with inferior such, players? Yeah, such idiots, you know. Um, I mean, Rooney remembers the guy who had the immortal line, uh, which, in fairness, was, was pretty funny at the time. But it's, it comes from when he his own days as a Luke Littler figure, and he uh, went came into the Everton team. Remember, he had that interview. Where he this is like, all to come, Ken. 
Oh, yeah. This well, exact I clip I is, this this exact I am, clip I mean, is I mean, I'm excited. You know? Yeah, you're, you're way more excited <laughs> about excited. guitarists than I realized. Mm. Um, but but he basically about how crap all his teammates turned out. To yeah, be the, the, actually, these are crap. <laughs> he realized. <laughs> Took me about a minute in training with them to realize a few like, days. ten times better than these. Uh, and there's a, you know Rooney struggled to get the rest of his group fully on board this is from the Atletico fully on board with the game plans which frequently changed as he simplified them again and again <laughs> I just had the image of Father Ted you know screaming at Dougal like play the fucking note <laughs> you know like in the smoke filled room <laughs> having started off with high hopes <laughs> just play the fucking note and then and of course we've we've had um, we've had uh, Kai Rooney you know, I mean, there's audio going around. We're not going to play because I, I don't know for sure that it's Kai Rooney, but I'm sure most people listening to this will have heard that it's purportedly Kai Rooney's voice note to a friend who, you know, in a friendly way, recorded it and posted it on the internet. We're often that happens. Saying, these players are shit. You know, the, the keeper's overweight. The center halves are shit. You know, he's got to get rid of this and that. And he's, you know, he was going to bring in loads of, loads of top players like Raul Jimenez and all this, you know. And, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. But, it, I mean, obviously, the, the the problem with that from Rooney's point of view is I mean, he, he could say, look, this is just my, like, what, 14-year-old son. You know, don't pay any attention to him. But it does, it does, people will say, well, who's he hearing this from, Wayne? Yeah. <laughs> you know, who, who's Kai... Uh, who's Kai heard all this stuff from? The Athletic, uh, the Birmingham squad were being asked to change their approach dramatically to move away from a style the players believed in, but the club's hierarchy did not. It may not have been pretty at times under Eustace, but this season had proved effective. Eustace's removal was not prompted by a desire to bring in Rooney, but because after failing to finish above 17th in the previous five seasons, they wanted the team to play no fear football. Eustace felt that was premature for a young group of players that were just getting used to a way of playing he felt was best suited to them. Eustace is like, fear is good. Fear works. You know? Like, fear, it's actually really important in football to have a healthy sense of fear uh, in a league like the championship. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like this. So this this thing of, of uh, poor old Rooney, it will take me a while to get over this. I mean, yeah, he'll probably be all right, I think. Uh, um, well, as you say, he is the most successful of the golden generation. Well, I was looking at them. You know, the golden generation is is really the two thousand and six World Cup squad, right? That's the kind of that's peak golden generation. What the squad produced was not a lot of not a lot of top managerial talent. I mean, I'm, I always you know when this subject comes up, I I was thinking about the um, you know the, the famous Valdano. Uh, shit on a stick mm-hmm. spiel where he he's it's really an attack on Benitez and Mourinho this is 2007 Benitez and Mourinho who were both these little you know strivers mm. guys who appeared in the in the back in an insignificant place in the photograph who managed to push their way to the front and uh, dominate you know and turn the game into an ugly thing dominated by mediocrities you know that was his general take on it and and he said uh you know, he's, he's complaining about how the Chelsea Liverpool team of of, of this shit on a stick era. Remember, they they were in the Champions League semi final against each other. It was it was pretty intense, pretty boring stuff. Um, the lives of ben- Mourinho and Benitez have crossed in a world that is ever more scrutinized and exposed by the media, which is why they look at each other with such distrust. But they have two things in common: a previously denied, hitherto unsatisfied hunger for glory and a desire to have everything under control. Both of those things stem from one key factor. Neither Mourinho nor Benitez made it as a player. That has made them channel all their vanity into coaching. Those who did not have the talent to make it as players do not believe in the talent of players. They do not believe in the ability to improvise in order to win football matches. In short, 
Benitez and Mourinho are exactly the kind of coaches that Benitez and Mourinho would have needed to make it as players. So this is like a former top player, World Cup winner and failed manager explaining why he's actually kind of more noble than like these successful much managers. more successful <laughs> managers and actually it's because they're like these little rah, rah, dri- like driven entirely by this like negative he, he, he interprets it entirely negatively in the sense that like their frustrated vanity means that they have to uh, you know they, they want to control and everything and that's why they're so obsessed with this uh, you know and, and he's, he's sort of painting them as sort of ugly figures you know mm-hmm. what I mean um, but it's, it's nonsense really like, I mean, I have no doubt that not having made it as players made them more determined to succeed as managers, but it kind of raised the stakes for them, you know, in the sense that this is it for them. It's not like you can go and do what uh, a former great player does, like Jorge Valdano, and be like a pundit, because no one wants to hear from you. You're nobody. You know what I mean? It's not a question of vanity. It's a question of just b- basic wanting to sort of succeed in, in life, you know? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. If you're a Shark Tank fan or business junkie, check out the podcast, Another Bite. Each week, Another Bite breaks down the biggest success stories and most disastrous failures to come out of Shark Tank. The hosts break down each company's pitch, analyze the deals that were or weren't made, and answer the million-dollar question, are they still a company? Whether you're an entrepreneur looking for tips or a Shark Tank fan that just wants to relive the drama, Another Bite's your deep dive into the world of Shark Tank. Just search for Another Bite in your favorite podcast app, like the one you're listening to right now. So it turns out that Lampard actually does, he genuinely does feel that sorry for himself. To send him out into the Premier League, expecting him to get results with this squad, with this group of players. Like, he looks, the fact is, he looks at that squad, and in his head, all he can hear is, This is his exquisite... Self pity. Timo Werner, like Timo Werner. Imagine. That's one for the players. Players have to take the responsibility because the, the, the message was clear. Did he bring the players in? Did he bring the Germans in? And then Jody Morris is like, boss, boss, you know, what, what, what are we going to do? He's like, oh, he, you know, he breaks out of this dream. But like, can you believe that they're, what they're doing to Lampard? So the football has been keeping us busy early in the new year. That much is clear. But we all know the real sporting story of 2024 so far. 16-year-old Luke Littler's run to the final of the World Darts Championship. Sky Sports Darts commentator Rod Studd was at the Ali Pali to see it all unfold. He was on the mic indeed for Littler's semi-final win against Rob Cross. It was all very exciting, but a note of caution was sounded during the tournament by two-time PDC World Champion and Darts veteran Gary Anderson. 
Now, see, we're going to say this now, because we have another youngster called Josh Rock that all used press and everything else have absolutely destroyed. So if it ever goes tits up, we'll look, give yourselves a pat on the back, because that's the way it's going. Let the boy play darts. I've been downstairs today and he's had cameras, Zoom calls, Sky meetings. Let the boy play darts. You know, he's, he's had a great tournament, he's done well. What happens if it all goes Pete Tong now? No, you boys have ruined that, haven't you? So let the boy play darts, he's 16 year old, playing well. And uh, yeah, just like Josh Rock, fantastic player. But you've knocked him back about two, three years. Do you share Gary Anderson's concerns there? I have to say, I think Gary is being disingenuous about Josh Rock. He's playing no worse this year than he did last year when he had no attention, or prior to the attention he got. He reached the quarterfinals of the Grand Slam of darts, mismatched darts against James Wade, and if he'd hit one of those, he'd been in the semi-final and may well have won the Grand Slam of darts, and that was only in November. So I, I don't think that Josh Rock has been ruined by any manner of means, but of course Gary's entitled to his opinion. I, I think we've, we've got to separate, you know, sensible, you know, coverage and, and, and column inches. You know, I was chatting with Jonathan Liu from The Guardian uh, at the World Darts the other day, and Jonathan writes the most wonderful prose, and, mm. you know, the stuff that Jonathan writes and the, and the feature writers of The Telegraph and The Guardian The Times isn't the same as people prying around into his private life. And, and that may be what Gary was driving at. I suspect it probably was. And nobody thinks that kind of thing is fair, you know, for people to want have unwanted attention into your private life, your relationships, you, you know, your parents, your friends and family. And that clearly shouldn't happen to anybody, never mind just just. Luke Littler, but all, all professional sportsmen and anybody, even even you and I, who nobody's interested in, you know, we should all have our private life. And that's, I think, needs to be separated. There has to be some kind of attention and people talking about his impact, as we are today, talking about his impact on the sport, you know. But, but I mean, Luke Littler won't be too worried about what, you know, Jonathan Lewis at the Guardian's writing or the guys at the Telegraph and the Times, et cetera, and so forth. But he, he may well get worried if people are prodding around in his dustbins, finding him he's had a kebab this morning. You know, and that—that that, I think there's—I think we have to be distinct that there's a difference between those two types of coverage. You know, what's unwarranted and unwanted, and what's just, you know, fair and sensible discussion about what goes on in a darts match and his impact on the world of darts, the world of sport. Yeah. So I think that's the key—the key key thing here. We've got to be distinct. There's a difference between those two things. You are going to get both, though, if you're at the level of fame that he's at. And it's so sudden, as I mentioned earlier on, he's come from nowhere to be this really famous person at 16 years of age. As we've seen with sports people over the years, this could go either way, you'd have to say. Yeah, and I wouldn't want him to, to have unwanted attention and, and, you know, have people you know being nosed into what he's doing. That shouldn't happen. The, the only thing that I mean, I'm interested in, really, is how, how he develops as a darts player. Now, will he, will he go on with this and get better and better and start winning world titles times many? Or will you know, this prove to be the highlight? And maybe he ca- can he keep it up? That's the key question. Can he keep up this level of performance? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, the way he's done it in, in five or six games at the World Championship suggests he may well do so. And I'm much more interested in that than his diet, whether it's a kebab or an omelette or whether he's having a cheese sandwich at lunchtime. I couldn't care less what he eats at lunchtime. So that's what I'm interested in, is following Luke Littler's career and can he develop as we all hope that he will? Just uh, when you mention all, all the stuff that could be on his uh, schedule, Rod, obviously most people his age are still in school. Does that come into it at all? Like, is, is that sort of, have we, have we drawn a line under that? Is it prof- fully professional darts now? At the he, age well, of- he, he's, he's going to be 17 in just over a fortnight. So he's not in school, school as we would know, you know, like... Uh, 
13, 14, 15, 16. He's, he's, he's moved beyond that because he's, he's now almost 17. So he's going to be playing full-time professional darts. But as I say, the, the dart schedule is is tough. It can be brutal at times. Most weeks there is a tour, there's a tournament which, not the big TV tournaments, but the, the regular PDC tour on a Monday and a Tuesday from, in this year. And then he'll have, to, he'll have to, because he's now number 32 in the world rankings, because he's only been playing for such a short space of time, he hasn't got a full year of ranking points. He's 32. And the top 16 is generally the seeding for the big TV tournaments. So he's going to have to do well on those tournaments. I just mentioned those Monday and Tuesday bread and butter events to qualify for TV tournaments. He may get an invitation to play in the Premier League, and that would be every Thursday night in locations all around Europe. The first one's in Cardiff at the start of February, but it goes to Berlin, to Belfast, to Dublin, to Liverpool, to Leeds, to Manchester, to Exeter, to Brighton. And, you know, he'd have to travel down on a Wednesday, play on a Thursday, travel back on a Friday. And as I mentioned, he'll have these other tournaments on a Monday and Tuesday, which are, you know, behind, they're behind closed doors. They're, they're, they're basically at leisure centres. You know, it's for the bread and butter PDC tour, but they're largely in Wigan, in Leicester and Milton Keynes. So that'll be, the Wigan one will be near for him, but the other two will be travelling. So he's going to have put a lot of miles on the clock, Luke Littler, and a lot of time at the hockey. And that's not even to include his practice. So he's going to be a very busy young man. And he's going to need to manage it, I think, physically and mentally. And that's going to be for his parents and his management to sit down now in early January and work out precisely how he's going to handle all these new commitments. Just in terms of the, the pure ability that he's displayed um, at the age of, of only 16, um, how unprecedented is this really? I mean, Gary Anderson, uh, who I assume is a, is a pretty good judge of darts, drew a comparison with Josh Rock. I'm not a, like a, a big uh, follower of darts, and the first time I ever heard of Josh Rock was when Gary Anderson mentioned them in, <laughs> in this clip. You know what I mean? So it's sort of I, it's it's hard for me to judge whether that's any kind of a wh- whether we're talking about players who are who who really are comparable. I mean, you mentioned Lionel Messi earlier on. Um, are you talking about a talent on that kind of level in com- in comparison well, to his peers? Well. A lot, a lot. Look, this is this is unprecedented. Sixteen is unprecedented. Rock is young. They're all young to me, by the way. But but Rock is young. But Rock is over four years older than Littler, so he's a young man. Rock and burst onto the scene around about twenty years old. But but Littler's sixteen. Uh, the the bare facts are: every time he won a match at the World Championship, he became the youngest player to get into the round he just got into, mm. and the youngest player to reach the final was Kirk Shepherd in two thousand and eight. And, and Kirk was just over 21. And the youngest player ever to win the PDC World Championship was Michael Van Gerwen in 2014. And Michael was 24 at the time. So, and they were considered young. You know, don't get me wrong. MBG was considered a, you know, a young winner at 24. Darts is con- was considered to be a game where you, you learnt your trade and you gradually got better and you got more experience. You got experience of playing on TV. And gradually the curve went up. To see, to see a kid just burst onto the scene at 16 and say, I don't need all the experience. I'm just going to blast you away anyway. It's completely unprecedented. Uh, to answer your question about Messi, I mean, there's been a lot of journalists and a lot of us trying to work out people that are, you know, were 16 when they burst onto the, onto the scene in world sport. You know, Wayne Rooney, when he scored that goal for Everton against Arsenal, he was 16. Premier League debut at 16. Uh, you know, Pele was 17. You know, and you have to start delving down to try and work it out. I mean, one guy I might compare to, Sachin Tendulkar was 16 when he played his first test match for India. He made a match-saving century for India in England at 17. Uh, with with media scrutiny, which would make, like, 
what what Luke Littler's having to put up with looked like, you know, just a bit of a faint interest. Because, you know, you go to India with a population of a billion people. You mean the Indian cricketers can't move. So Sachin has been unable to sort of walk out of his front door since about the age of 12. So, you know, but I think, you know, Littler dealing with things that are unprecedented, certainly in darts, and probably almost unprecedented in English sport. It's similar to the attention, I think, that Rooney was getting at 16 when, uh, you know, there was press, every press conference at Everton was, the question was, when's Rooney going to get a game? When's Rooney going to get a game? And when he did score the goal against Arsenal, it was all about Rooney every week. So I think it's similar to that. And of course, from a similar neck of the woods, Warrington to... uh, Emergency side. Yeah, and I seem to remember actually David Moyes at that time. Um, yes, it was Moyes. Yeah, sa- sounded a little bit like uh, Gary Anderson at times um, <clears throat> in terms of him saying, "Oh, you know, sort of stop talking about Rooney all all the time." But the interesting question here really is, how are the seasoned professionals reacting to this? I mean, when, when I when I was listening to Anderson, I thought. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's unfair, but he sounded a little, like a little bit resentful of the of the attention. Maybe I mean he himself actually had talked about the amazing. I've never known a reception like this at the Ali Pali. This was incredible. Uh, so he he seemed to be quite pleased with the attention when it was directed at himself. But then you know he 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 obviously gave this spiel about how you're you're going to ruin it for the boy and all this kind of thing. I, I mean, if I'm someone like him, I think he won the the. The, the world championship in his mid forties a couple of times you know maybe that's a more normal yeah. normal sort of trajectory that, that is normal yeah I mean yeah. Gary now I, I think he's fifty three just had a birthday but you know and his world championships were two thousand and fifteen and sixteen back to back but are, are their noses out of joint a little bit like uh, I mean are they looking at this going well, well you know what's what's going on here. I, I, I don't know exactly what Gary's thinking I you know I don't know what's going on in someone else's head I barely know what's going on in my own head half the time but. Uh, <laughs> You know, what what I do see or what I have seen over my time watching professional sport, many professional sports, is that one of the hardest things for an elite level professional sports man or woman to do is accept that you're in decline. And, and if you've been the best, that you're not the best anymore. And how do you deal with that? And, you know, some people, some players have dealt with it brilliantly. Federer in tennis, for example, realised that he wasn't the best anymore, but still believed he could beat Djokovic or Nadal in any given day and did do and won majors deep into the back end of his career. You know, other players have struggled. I mean, Phil Taylor, by his own admission, struggled to deal with it towards the end of his career. Maybe Gary is starting to struggle a little bit too, that he realises that, you know, sadly the clock is ticking on his career. He hasn't got many years left. He knows that. And when you see a guy like Littler come through, you probably think I've got even less years left than I thought I had. To hear our coverage of the darts, yes, I know that's a sentence that I don't utter often enough on the show, but to hear our coverage of the darts, you've got to become a World Service member on secondcaptains.com for just €5 a month plus VAT. Go on, treat yourself for the new year. You will hear all episodes without any ads, and of course, you'll be supporting independent journalism. Thanks for listening today. The Second Captain's Pod is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hope to see a lot more of you guys in 2024. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade us of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. If you're a Shark Tank fan or business junkie, check out the podcast Another Bite. Each week, Another Bite breaks down the biggest success stories and most disastrous failures to come out of Shark Tank. The hosts break down each company's pitch, analyze the deals that were or weren't made, and answer the million-dollar question, 
are they still a company? Whether you're an entrepreneur looking for tips or a Shark Tank fan that just wants to relive the drama, Another Bite's your deep dive into the world of Shark Tank. Just search for Another Bite in your favorite podcast app, like the one you're listening to right now. (laughs) Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Yuffie X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.